Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. I do a 24-hour fast every week. Sunday mornings, I get up and I eat a big breakfast and I don't eat again until Monday breakfast. Interesting. It's our self-cleaning mode. That's why fasting, you know, goes back thousands of years as part of just normal cultures around the world. So I could eat like dinner Sunday night and then just not eat again until Monday. I am more of a fan and I think the studies are really starting to show this, that you're better off skipping dinner rather than breakfast. You're better off off eating breakfast, lunch, and then not eating until breakfast the next day. Interesting. Hey, so excited to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Tims. Is that what I'm supposed to call you, Dr. Tims? Dr. Lucas or Dr. Tim? Okay, I'll go Dr. Lucas then. I'm more of an informal person. <laughs> when you have a double first name syndrome, it, it, you can yeah. go both ways. Yeah. I hear you. I love it. Well, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Um, I want to know how you got into this whole cancer thing. Yeah. Um, well, I I was in medical school. And as life happens, I met a girl. And we, you know, hit it off and started dating and became pretty serious. And about a year into that relationship, boom, she got diagnosed with cancer. No way. What kind? She had thyroid cancer, okay. but she had a particularly aggressive form of thyroid cancer. She so had her thyroid removed. She had surgery. Okay. Um, and she, you know, this was, I was in the middle of medical school, so I still didn't really know yeah. much about medicine. I was For still sure. cutting my teeth, obviously, but um, that girl would go on to later become my wife, obviously. Okay. And yeah. so that's sort of my origin story is, you know, being in medical school, not really knowing like, well, if I wanted to specialize in something, I thought maybe I wanted to, you know, focus on just gut health and things like that. Um, but here comes this, like almost this omen. It was like, okay. And from that moment on, it was just, I couldn't get enough information in terms of like, how to, how does, you know, what is cancer? First of all, I feel like there's not a lot of great succinct definitions out there for people. I feel like it's this big, bad word that people don't want to say. Yeah. Um, they don't really know how to explain it. Uh, they just say, oh, yeah, it can be incurable. It's really bad. Uh, I had family members that died from it. It's usually just negative connotations, right? right? Yeah. Um, but I went through that process with, with you know, then my girlfriend, now my wife. And uh, it really was eye-opening for me because back then, of course, she did everything by the book, conventional medicine. She had surgery, you know, all, all the therapies that they do that are very standard. Okay. She went to a very, very, you know, high end, I won't name names, but a very high end cancer center for that. Okay. And I was tagging along for long for a lot of her appointments. And I have to say, you know, I, I went into those meetings thinking, oh my gosh, okay, she's at this place. This is one of the best places she could be. These people are going to be brilliant. They're going to be amazing doctors. Yeah. And honestly, Morgan, like I was just really disappointed. Yeah. I was like, this, this is it? Yeah. You're just in the system. It's like, like what? Yeah. They're, they're in the room two and a half minutes, three minutes, boom, boom, bang. Here's your thing. This is what we do. We do the same thing for everyone. Put you into the conveyor belt. Okay. And uh, it's like, wow. Well, I mean, anybody could have done that yeah. really. I mean, I know these people are smart and they've been through a lot of training, but, uh, and, and obviously the surgeon, you know, that's something you obviously need, but I was just, it was almost like going to Oz and like pulling back the curtain. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was just really kind of disappointed. And then, so that kind of molded me a little bit. And I was like, man, this is gotta be something better than this. Right. But this is one of these top institutions. So turns out that is kind of what all these places do, despite, you know, saying, well, we're a top cancer center, whether it's MD Anderson or Memorial Sloan Kettering, Mayo, 
you go to all these places, the only thing that's really going to be different is they may have some different types of clinical trials they're doing there, but all the standard of care therapies, if you have a diagnosis and you're looking for immediate treatment, you're going to get the same thing pretty much at all those places. Yeah. It's pretty cookie cutter. Yeah. So, so that kind of piqued my interest and was like, okay, I, I, I want to be not only uh, a resource for my, you know, this woman that I'm falling in love with, that's going through this terrible thing, but it, it almost got my brain working towards like, okay, I want to make a career out of this. And it became more of a passion than just a profession at that point. And so, you know, I, when you were in school, were you like tapping all your teachers being like, my wife has this blah, blah, blah. Like, what should I do? Like, I mean, well, I guess she wasn't my wife at that time. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of gray area, but, um, yeah, I mean, there was probably some of that, you know, I think back, this was 16 years ago now. Yeah. So I'm trying to think back, you know, I, I still, but had, you weren't well, well networked then you didn't even have the resources. Probably. I didn't really, I didn't really, I mean, uh, I was still very green myself, yeah. obviously. Okay. And so, but I, it really, uh, focused my uh, pursuit in terms of making sure that I got every available opportunity to do specialized training in oncology, which is what led me to City of Hope, formerly known as Cancer Treatment Centers of America. I did a, a hospital-based residency that was steeped for two years in integrative oncology. Got and it. that's really where- What is City of Hope? So City of Hope is their- um, flagship is in is in this area you thought yeah, so. it's in yeah, california okay. they merged with cancer treatment centers of america so when i was there it was called cancer treatment centers okay america, and they had several locations around the country um but when they all merged they all became a city of hope got it okay so and what's the deal for those listening who have yeah. never heard of cancer treatment centers of america or city of hope like how would you describe those so it's changed over the years, but the model was when I did my training there, which again, this was 14, 15 years ago, um, their sort of model was, we want to offer everything that a cancer patient might need, conventional and integrative and alternative all under one roof. Okay. Okay. Great concept. Right? Yeah. Great model. I mean, that that's what people are still looking for today. The execution of the model was not great. Okay. You know, and a lot of that... Uh, there was a lot of factors at play, you know, when a lot of uh, uh, policies got passed that had to do with Obamacare, reimbursement went down. And so, you know, uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America was really subsidizing a lot of the integrative and alternative therapies for patients because they got reimbursed so well for things like got surgeries it. and chemotherapy. Okay. And so they were able to make that model work when Obamacare and all those policy changes came came down the pipe. It really changed how much they get reimbursed. And so they weren't able to really afford The margin it. structure didn't work to be- Margin, so like, well, okay, yeah. we got to get back to like what's bringing money in and that, yeah, that's these the conventional treatments. On. Got it, okay. So that was unfortunate because I really believed in their, um, in their mission, vision, values as far as what they were when I signed up for it. Yeah. And I stayed, I mean, I was there for eight years. I- you know, last two two years I was there, I served as their medical director for integrative oncology. I was like, I was, yeah, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I was in sure. it. Yeah. Um, but it just, you know, it just step by step started fizzling out and it became less and less about the patient and more and more about profits. Yeah. And which I get it. It's a, it's a for-profit hospital. Yeah. So um, that led me to, um, am I jumping too far? Ahead no, no, now, this or? is good. This okay. is good. Um, that led me to the Reardon Clinic. Okay. Uh, back in. I was going to ask, like, so are there clinics that are doing it well? Because 
We'll get to that. Okay. Um, so the Reardon Clinic, kind of uh, the opportunity to work at the Reardon Clinic uh, presented itself as I was sort of getting, you know, fed up with sort of the scene yeah. at, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America and now City of Hope. And so that opportunity presented itself and I ended up, you know, really liking the people at Reardon Clinic. They have a, a really great history in terms of doing a lot of research with not only uh, cancer, but things like IV vitamin C, really progressive types of treatments cool. that are not offered by the mainstream. And so they were really big in research, big in community education and patient care. Those were their three pills and they're a nonprofit. So I was like, that's great. I always wanted to work for a nonprofit. Yeah. I think that a nonprofit's mission, vision, values align more with how I see myself practicing where let's make it about the patients and not about just how much money can we make. Yeah. So uh, signed on with them in 2018, moved from Arizona to Kansas City. So one weather extreme to the next. Yeah. And um, and hit it off great for a few years and did, did research there, saw a ton of patients, developed a ton of integrative oncology programs. But you got to see that it was, that was not the all-in-one model. Reardon Clinic strictly just does more of the alternative integrative type therapies. Okay. So you're kind of like, they're coming in, they're working with a regular oncologist who's doing chemo, and then you're supplementing, you're kind of trying to piece programs together. I, yes, uh, exactly. Um, it wasn't that all under one roof where we're all working as a team Got like it. we had at City of Hope. Got it. Uh, which was really nice, where the oncologists and I could converse on a daily basis. They trusted me. Now I've got this divide where, you know, they're in their silo, I'm in my silo, yeah. this patient that's going back and forth. And, you know, they're telling them, oh, don't do any of that stuff. It's, you know, it, it's, there's not enough research. It might interfere with the chemo. And and it's hard for me to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with them to say, yeah. look, there are certain things we need to be careful with, but this is okay to do. And, yeah. So did you ever prescribe chemo or were you mostly no. in your career, mostly focusing? No, because at, at City of Hope, we, you know, we had people that were strictly, that was their job. And then, and then I focused more on um, the integrative support. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were fine working with patients who were undergoing oh, conventional therapies. Got it. Okay. It was You're great. like, how can I make it more effective and better and all of those things? Yeah. And I truly believe that in most situations, you're going to get the best outcomes with cancer, uh, especially advanced stage cancer, when you combine the best of Got it. Okay. I just feel like there's strengths and weaknesses on both sides and they complement each other so well because, yeah. you know, we can get into like the different types of cancer cells and the fact that chemotherapy is really good against the offspring cells, whereas IV vitamin C and mistletoe and things that work through the immune system are much better at dealing with cancer stem cells. Okay. What is mistletoe? What is mistletoe? Yeah. Um, well, we have to make a, uh, uh, a clear distinction that, you know, the mistletoe that we're used to hearing about here in the States is that, you know, the ceremonial plant that we use around the holidays, right? Right. Well, in Europe, mistletoe is really just known as a medicinal plant. Oh, they don't They don't really connect it with Christmas. And okay. Like it's not there. like something you kiss under. And it's not the okay. kissing plant over there. Although, I mean, I think they know about it from here, but it's been used as a medicinal plant medicine for decades okay probably close to 100 years dating all the way back to rudolf steiner who's a yeah a real iconic figure of you know in yeah. medicine and other areas but um but yeah there's a long history there, especially in, in countries like germany switzerland austria um so i learned about mistletoe when i was in my residency uh at city of hope and immediately asked for a 
kind of like a, a pause in my program because I wanted to go spend three months in Germany learning about this. Oh, and I was like, I want to bring this over here. Yeah. There was a few doctors doing it in the States back then, not as much as there are now, but, um, but I was like, this is such a cool therapy because I had met a series of patients that have been over to these Germany cancer clinics. Oh, interesting. Had done mistletoe and we're still doing it, you know, but they were having a tough time kind of coordinating it. When you say they've done mistletoe, like, is are we talking like something that you like smoke, like weed or what is mistletoe? Like, I'm just so... I don't know. I don't know if it's studied as an inhaled... Is it an oil? Like, what is it? Is no. it like a ayahuasca? You, if you Google mistletoe, you know, you'll, you'll probably see some oral type extracts and things like that for okay. sale. But really the way that we're talking about it, uh, the way that it's used for cancer support is either through an injection. Okay. Um... A very simple injection, but an injection nonetheless. It's it's a subcutaneous injection, very similar to the way insulin is delivered for diabetics. Got it. Yep. Or uh, in a more uh, high dose fashion, given IV. Okay. Okay. So these are so you could these combine are, it with vitamin C therapy, IV therapy. Oftentimes they are combined. Okay. Um, usually not in the same bag or, or the Got same it. treatment setting, but usually they're used in tandem for for. Two, I would say when you look at the list of potential integrative oncology therapies that are out there those two probably float to the top pretty easily because they're they've been around for a long time they have the best human data right interesting um it's really to the point where it's it's kind of when you when you look at the data on things like iv vitamin c and mistletoe it almost you know as you go deeper and deeper you're like why isn't why aren't these things yeah. approved? Why aren't we doing these things in the mainstream? Interesting. And so you kind of go down that. And what does the uh, data say? Like killing cancer cells, or like what does the data say? Yeah. So um, for IV vitamin C, like I alluded to earlier, you know, it's one of the big problems. I'll back up a little bit. One of the big problems with cancer is people get a diagnosis. They they have a tumor somewhere. They get chemotherapy. And all of a sudden they get a clean scan and they say, you're cured. Cancer yeah. went away, right? A year later, it's back, right? Yeah. Okay. You've probably heard that story course, before. Right, yeah. So what happened there, right? If the chemotherapy and nothing was on the scan, what happened? Well, what happens in those situations, and this is pretty common when you're only doing standard of care therapies is in a tumor, you've got different types of cells. You've got the the cells that really start the tumor process, which we call cancer stem cells. Um, and then those are usually very few in in a tumor, but those give rise to offspring cells, daughter okay. cells, if you will. So you've got kind of this core unit of cancer stem cells, which are very, very flexible in terms of their what types of fuel sources they can use. They're very they're they're, they're immature cells, right? Because stem cells, just like our healthy stem cells in our body, they can go on to mature into all different types of things in our body. These stem cells that are part of the cancer problem are just as dangerous or just as flexible. And so these are the ones that you hit someone with chemotherapy, it wipes out all those offspring cells, which is usually what makes up about 95% of a tumor. So on a scan, it looks like everything's gone, but you've got these kind of sleeper cells right? These cancer stem cells that are able to withstand the storm of the chemotherapy. And then do the same thing. Off. And then, you know, they may, they may lie dormant for six months. They may lie dormant for a year, but at some point those can be triggered again. Mm, okay. And then they start growing and then guess what? They're much more resistant. They're much more aggressive oh. and the treatments and the, the, the new offspring they're giving rise to 
that treatment you hit them with a year ago it's doesn't work. Out. Yeah. Got it. So that's the one of the big challenges in, in cancer care is dealing with these resistant cells. Um, and, you know, they'll call it chemo resistance or drug resistance, treatment resistant. Um, and from the conventional wisdom side, it's more, well, we just have to keep developing new a, a new mousetrap for it, right. you know, a new drug, a new drug. But none of these drugs are really effective against the cancer stem cells, but Got you it. know what it is. IV vitamin C. Interesting. That's one of the few therapies that we've discovered that rather than having this, you know, this grenade effect against the offspring, it's more like a sniper rifle towards these cancer stem cells. Interesting. And the real cool thing about it is that the IV vitamin C in a lot of cases is not really killing these cancer stem cells. It's rehabilitating them. Because you got to remember cancer cells are, they're, they're our own cells. Right. Right? How many of us have cancer cells floating we all, around? It? We all do. I mean, we that's all. what I was. I mean, about you know, that. maybe newborn. You get a cancer diagnosis. It's almost like you've probably had cancer cells in your body for seven to ten years. Yeah. Okay. In most cases, you've got some more aggressive, rapid onset ones now that are that are showing up maybe over the course of a year or two. But ninety percent of the time, cancers are going to be a slow building process over years and years. But yeah, we all have. I don't know if I would say we all have cancer cells, but we all have cancerous cells because again, it doesn't take one DNA mutation to make a cancer cell. You need multiple hits. Got it. Okay. So you got some cells that have taken a couple of hits, but they're still like, they're not, they haven't fully gone rogue yet. Yeah. They could still be rehabilitated or your immune system could still detect those cells and help them. So should we all be doing vitamin C IVs preventatively? Potentially. Okay. Potentially. There's, I have so many questions for you. About it. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's the, the other thing that we know about IV vitamin C, which is again, another knock on why isn't this approved for treatment is we know it's extremely safe. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's really the no diarrhea. I mean, too much vitamin C, but that's only with oil. You don't get that with the IV because okay. you're obviously bypassing the gut. Um, there's some very rare genetic issues. Like there's something called G6PD deficiency, which is okay. a hereditary mutation that if you have that, potentially it could set you up for some really bad side effects with high dose vitamin C. What'd you find out? But we always we always screen people for that. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I think I've been doing this a while. I think I've only had one patient over the years. Okay. Like it's a very, very small number of people that have that issue. Got it. You have to monitor kidney function. You have to monitor people that have lots of fluid or tension issues. There's some things, I mean, you people don't just do this at home. It's not a DIY type thing. You have to have medical oh, supervision. Yeah. But relatively speaking, it's an extremely safe therapy yeah. with little to no downside as long as it's done under the right supervision. Yeah. Yeah. Mistletoe, um, it, you know, is another great therapy, like I mentioned, for to combine with IV vitamin C and even with chemotherapy. It's an approved therapy. It actually has become approved by the FDA version of what they have in Europe for cancer support because what it mainly does is it helps uh, blunt the toxicity to the immune system that chemotherapy has. Okay. So one of the big problems with patients going through chemotherapy is it lowers their white blood cell count, yeah. lowers their infection fighting cells. So they're much more likely to pick up a pneumonia virus. And, and sometimes patients, that's what gets them, not the cancer. Yeah. yeah. And then of course we know that there's cumulative effects there. Well, one of the things the, the mistletoe therapy can help offset or mitigate 
is that immune suppression you get with chemotherapy. And that's one of the main reasons why it is used as part of the standard model in those countries. Interesting. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy, whatever you want yeah. to call it here in the States, you know, um, we, we are seeing some momentum, you know, Johns Hopkins has done a few studies now with mistletoe and even IV vitamin C. And so you're seeing some of these bigger academic institutions Catching on. starting to catch on. But who's going to fund the research and that's their, that's what, you know, if, if it was a novel drug that could be patented, then the funding would have been there right. years ago of course, because someone would have been, because again, you got to think about it. We've, we've set this system up as a, I mean, medicine is big business right? and cancer care is probably one of the biggest sectors of that business. And we've set the game up so that, you know, the incentives are there for, for drug companies to develop drugs that don't cure cancer, but delay the death of cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the game we've set up. And so we, we, we kind of throw our hands up and say, why haven't we why haven't we gotten any breakthroughs with cancer? Why haven't we cured cancer now? We've had a war on cancer for 70 years. We haven't set the game up to really answer yeah. that question. Yeah. And we haven't set the game up to where the patients are the winners. The people that are making money off the patients are the winners, the way we've set it up. Yeah. So besides mistletoe and vitamin CIV, like what other things do you do? Would you say first line treatments? Yeah, I mean, there's so much. I I really pride myself on not doing anything cookie cutter. Are we okay? Yeah. No. Um, I my really like is just like right in my face. It's <laughs> fine. Sorry, editing team. <laughs> That's all right. Better they see your face. No. Um, so I really try to take each person's case. And one of the big things that I'm about with patients is trying to figure out why did you get cancer in the first place? Yeah. You know, sort of root cause medicine or, or um, terrain theory, whatever you want to call it. But I, I really start with testing so that I can figure out what are the different variables that we need to address for that patient. Because I can line up 10 patients with breast cancer that are all around the same age, same demographics. But if we do sort of our root cause testing, all 10 of those patients are probably going to look different. And probably going to need different things. And what does your root cause testing entail? Good question. So we do a lot of different types of investigations. We look at, um, we look at toxins, we look at gut health, we look at nutrient levels, we look at hormones, we look at inflammation, we look at stress, all the things that- Like almost like a functional medicine panel with it, the addition of like exactly. stool and something exactly. else. Okay, exactly. so you're we, just going deep on the all around diagnostics. A hundred percent, hundred percent. But that could lead us in so many different ways. I mean, there's there's so many tools out there now between- of course, supplements and nutraceuticals, but off-label drugs have a place, you know. Like ivermectin. I know this is a controversial word with an I, but I did see one doctor I follow who's just posting, like someone asked about ivermectin and cancer, and he listed like six ways that it was yeah. effective at. It's the, the studies are tremendous. And it's like, you know, the pandemic kind of shown. This yeah, it does polarize this drug it, that's been around for 40 years. And now we can't even talk about it without being labeled a conspiracy theorist. I'm with you. Okay. But it is. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting. Yes. Like, I didn't know if you, there was validity to that. There is. So I'm there absolutely suffering is. from the bias, but yeah. And to be honest, it, I kind of, in some ways, there was a silver lining to the pandemic because I didn't even realize there was that much research on Ivermectin. 
you know, and so it caused me to kind of go back and start looking at this stuff. But there's lots of other drugs that have shown promise, things like metformin, oh, yeah. old diabetic drug. And uh, what metformin, like with what kind of cancer? I'm so curious about that. Well, uh, most of the studies are in breast cancer. That, um, but, but you could use it in any. You can use it in any. And again, I, it's not like I look at, oh, you have this type of cancer. We need to do this. I more so look at people kind of agnostic of their tumor type Got it. Okay. and say, okay, this is what your terrain looks like. Because again, I'm not the one who's killing their cancer cells. Those are, that's what the conventional doctors do. Yeah. I'm looking at how do we, how do we heal the soil? Yeah. Right. And so to me, it's, you know, we have all these different types of fancy names for cancer. It really just depends on what, where in the body it's just right. anatomical, Got it. you know, okay. there's sense. different types of, uh, you know, sarcomas and adenocarcinomas and, you know, squamous cell carcinoma, things like that. That really has to do with like where in the body it is and, you know, what type of uh, origin tissue it started in. But at the end of the day, you know, cancer has, that's why we have these hallmarks of cancer, right? And we know that there's, we, we thought there was only six. Now we know there's about 10 hallmarks of cancer. What does that mean, a hallmark of cancer? So there was a, a, a real landmark study that was done in the early 2000s. Um, where these two guys came together and they basically looked at cancers across the board and they wanted to look at the common denominators of all these different types of cancers. And they, and they came up with what they called the, at that time, they called the six hallmarks of cancer. Okay. Things like immune system evasion. Cancer cells all are, have the ability to hide and escape our immune system because our immune systems really, when we talk about everyone has cancer cells, well, why doesn't anybody have cancer then? Because most of us, our immune systems are working well. And our immune system has a very um, inherent uh, uh, effect where it, where it searches and looks for cancer cells on a daily basis and detects them and gets rid of them before they become problems. So if your immune system is working well and you're not making loads and loads of cancer more than it can keep up with, you're going to be okay even if you're making some cancer cells. Got it. Right? But these hallmarks of cancer, one was, you know, they they evade the immune system. Another one was this angiogenesis effect where they can, you know, once tumors get to a certain size, they can recruit new blood vessels to gain more nutrients and fuel sources and spread and grow. Uh, and so they they found these six hallmarks of cancer. But then as time's gone on the last 20 years, we've identified new areas that seem to fit all the different types of cancer cells. They all do these certain things. And so going back to sort of my approach, it's, yeah, we know we need to, if we've got a fast growing cancer patient may need to have surgery, patient may need to do some chemotherapy to get that under control. But at the end of the day, what's really going to give you that long-term control is dealing with the environment that that, that allowed that, the cancer to that go. allowed the cancer yeah. to really take a foothold. Fair here. enough. And so, you know, I've kind of boiled my my theory of root causes of cancer down to three categories. And this would be things that cause chronic inflammation. And that can be everything from diet, lifestyle, stress. Um, lack of sleep, to chronic infections, viruses, fungus, parasites, you name it, biofilms, and then chronic toxicities. Okay. So these are things like chemicals that were exposed Blood to, exposure, heavy mold. metals, mold toxins, um, you know, pesticides, plastic chemicals. Got it. Okay. You know, we have a, a very long list of carcinogens. Yeah. You know? And they're, you know, we, we have a, we've done a pretty good job of identifying what are the 
chemicals that we're exposed to that cause cancer. So, you know, why aren't we talking about those things? You know, we, we, all we want to talk about is treating cancer. Right. Nobody wants to talk about prevention mm-hmm. or nobody wants to really have a serious conversation about prevention. Yeah. And prevention is different than early detection, early detection. You know, that's okay. Get your mammogram. Once you turn 40 colonoscopies, pap smears, those things, those are early detection. That's not prevention. Okay. Now you can, you can catch a cancer early, cut it out and prevent someone from having an advanced stage cancer. But I'm talking about prevention where we're getting to people even earlier than that. Yeah. You know, and we're teaching people how to live an anti-cancer lifestyle, use less products, eat as organic as possible for you, yeah. you know, have at least the awareness of all these different exposures that we have in our day-to-day lives now, which is just becoming overwhelming. So number one's awareness, but then number two is giving people practical solutions on how to avoid these things, or at least reduce yeah, the toxic the load exposure and-, and the toxic load while also supporting their body's ability to eliminate those toxins. And do you work with people who don't have cancer, who just want to like prevent and test and see where they're at? And on a very limited basis, I've just gotten so busy with people that that do have cancer, have cancer. And, you know, I, as of right now, I'm kind of a one man show. So yeah, my bandwidth limited, but I have a few patients that I've been working with that are, you know, they've got a strong family history or, um, or they've got other strong risk factors and they, you know, they want to want to be more proactive. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. We kind of went on a tangent, but I think I drew you here because we were talking about metformin. Yeah. So you were saying there, there's, you know, you got vitamin C, IV, you've got whistle, mistletoe, whistletoe, mistletoe, <laughs> mistletoe. Um, and then you've got off-label drugs. Yeah. I'm sure there's diet supplement. Like what else are you doing with people? Are there more off-label drugs? Like, are you guys using rapamycin? I know like I don't use rapamycin a lot with um, with cancer patients. There's some longevity doctors, yeah, yeah, doctors for sure, that do that stuff. Although I think the I think the data on that's a little bit sketchy. Interesting. To be honest. Yeah. Um, metformin does a lot of those things, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's safe. metformin for those listening. I would say it's like a metabolic. It's really an old diabetes it's, medication, but would affect mostly is. metabolic health, huh? Like, I kind of yes, absolutely. It lowers IGF one insulin-like growth factor, which is a huge growth factor for a lot of tumors, especially breast cancers. Um, it helps to uh, block glucose pathways because cancer, again, the main fuel source, not the only fuel source, but the main fuel source for cancer when it's in a growth phase is glucose. So are you like putting a lot of people on keto type diets? Um, it depends. I don't usually put people on keto long-term, mm-hmm. um, but if if their terrain testing kind of shows that they have a lot of metabolic issues mm-hmm. they've got a high hemoglobin a1c they've got a high igf their lipids are all over the place we'll 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 put put them on a keto diet uh to kind of calm things down but i just and i know there's a lot of people out there that ride really hard for keto i just i have not seen patients do well long term yeah that's fair i think three months two months three months get things under control and then you can kind of flex to more of a you know what i would call low carb mediterranean style diet yeah do some fasting, you know, periodic fasting to help with that. But, uh, but yeah, keto is something I do prescribe for patients in certain situations when we really need to rein in the metabolic yeah. side of things. And tell me about fasting. Do you use that with most of your patients? Cause if there's a lot I of do. data there, isn't there? I do. I, I prefer that over, you know, these really restrictive diets. Cause it just, it, I find it's easier for patients yeah. to fast. Uh, some people fast easier than others. 
you know, again, it all comes back to their metabolic flexibility. Um, but what kind of fast are we talking? Well, there's different types of fasting programs. Um, a lot of people that are just getting new to it, I'll recommend they do the Prolon fasting mimicking diet, yeah. which is a five-day uh, program. Uh, that's a good sort of way to introduce people to fasting. Okay. A doctor from what, USC, I think that's his Yeah, company? Dr. Yeah. Longa. Yeah, Dr. Uh, yeah. Okay. He's, he's brilliant and he's written books and, and he's doing lots of research with it. And uh, so- Have you ever done it? Prolon, the prolon. Oh, I've done. Yeah, I do it every year. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's what I was going for. Oh. I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, I do this once a year. I kind of want to do that. I do it. I love it. I mean, I, I don't have like a set time I do it, but I try to do it at least once a year. But then more so, what I've done the last couple of years is I do a 24 hour fast every day, every uh, every week. Oh, interesting. So, and the way I like to do it that I found works for me, and a lot of patients once they get to this point where they can do this, I find that they really like it. Is Sunday mornings, I get up and I eat a big breakfast. And I don't eat again until Monday break. Interesting. So I'm not really going a full like calendar yeah. day without eating, but it's a 24 hour fast. Yeah. But I have a nice big breakfast on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I, I had Dr. Mindy Pels on the podcast and she was really big on just like what happens to our cells as the fast is extended and how yes. therapeutic they can be. Oh, it's great. I mean, from a cancer standpoint, the, the real buzzword and what most people are looking for is that autophagy effect. Got it. Which I'm sure Dr. Pels. Yeah. And Dr. Added. Rhonda Patrick's big in the autophagy too. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's our self-cleaning mode, right? I mean, it's, if you want to talk about uh, working with your body's own ability to deal with problems. Autophagy, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. And that's why fasting, you know, goes back thousands of years as part of just normal cultures around the world. Yeah. Um, so I could eat like dinner Sunday night and then just not eat again until Monday. You could. Um, night. I am more of a fan. And I think the studies are really starting to show this, that you're better off fasting at, at like, you're better off skipping dinner than rather than breakfast oh interesting a lot of people do it the opposite way yeah. where they'll eat, eat dinner and, and then they'll skip breakfast the next morning especially women that are still cycling and i know uh many pills talks about this yeah um you're, you're better off eating breakfast lunch and then not eating until breakfast the next day interesting yeah i could do yeah. that yeah. you know what i think that might work better i'm a migraine sufferer like big time mm -hmm. and i find that if i sometimes fasting can trigger a migraine for me like oh, for sure yeah yeah so but i think that would actually be fine it's yeah. this too long in the morning and i get well because you've got you know that again you're you're overlaying that fast with when your cortisol is supposed to be spiking in the morning, uh, when you're supposed to, you know, your body's supposed to be really revving things up and you're kind of sending the signal that no, 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 like we're going to keep things like really restricted right now. Got it. Yeah. You're almost that, adding cortisol on cortisol. It, I just find that it, it it pairs so much nicer with what our bodies are doing in the evenings versus the morning. Interesting. And then you're in like a deeper, you're further hours into your fast when you go to sleep. Yeah. And I sleep and, and I, people will sleep better too. I think. Interesting. Uh, I see that. And I hear that feedback all the time. Okay. And then, um, okay. What other yeah. white I'm want to wrap this, this off label mm -hmm. drugs. Are there any other like big ones? You're There's using? tons. Um, low dose naltrexone is a big one. Uh, Why have I heard of naltrexone? What's that? Naltrexone, not to be confused with naloxone, which is like Narcan. Okay. But uh, naltrexone, it, it is in that same class of opiate type medications. Got it. Okay. But again, you know, it, we're using it at a very low dose. Um, so naltrexone, naloxone, those can be used for people that are overdosing on opiates or having withdrawals from opiates because they blood and block the opiate receptors. What we discover, what other people discovered long time ago really is that at low doses it has a much different effect in the body what it does is it 
stimulates the release of endorphins, particularly in your gut. And as we know now, most people know, unless you've been living under a rock, is that most of our immune system is in our gut. Yeah. Okay. And so when we get that stimulation, that release of endorphins, you know, coming, because you can get that obviously through things like exercise and other types of pleasurable activities, release endorphins in the gut, but this low dose naltrexone really pulses it. And we find that that has a very healing effect and a very calming effect on the immune system. So great for people with autoimmune diseases. Oh, interesting. And things like cancer. Interesting. So um, low dose naltrexone is a big one. Um, Doxycycline is another one that really helps, particularly when you pair it with IV vitamin C for cancer stem cells. Uh, Low dose aspirin, which again is over the counter. Different types of antiparasitics, not just ivermectin, but mabendazole and niclosamide and lots of different antiparasitics. Got it. Okay. So there's a lot. There's lots of different ones. Yeah. yeah. But it really calls for, you know, it's again, there's not like this cookie cutter, like, oh, take these four drugs if you have cancer. You got to look at the person. Look at the person. And I really, you know, I, I don't just put everybody on those medications. Well, it seems like what I'm hearing is like, you look at the person and regular oncologists might just look at the type of cancer, which is really the anatomical location of the cancer and treat the anatomical location of the cancer and then not really address the environment. 100%. And I mean, they're not, I don't blame the oncologist, to be honest. They're not set up to do that. Yeah. You know, is a time and a place for that. And it's help. You're not like anti-traditional treatments. No, not at all. I mean, again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I I believe the best outcomes when both are come from when you you blend the two together. Uh, but but it needs to be done the right way. And I think a lot of times patients are left sort of DIYing a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I don't, I, that can lead to lots of issues. Yeah. I will say like, I'm a pretty assertive person. I run a company. I'm outgoing. I don't have really any problems standing <laughs> up for myself. Like I don't, I never have. I don't know if it's like a complex family, five feet tall that I developed where I just am kind of loud for a tiny person, mm-hmm. but doctors are scary. Like I'm afraid to go in and express my opinion on like some alter. I'm kind of like, I'm always like nervous. And then you're yeah. kind of like lying to the doctor. And then you're just like, it's such a, it can be such a weird dynamic, yeah. um, especially in oncology. I mean, the, the the first of all, patients going there, they're they're already freaked out. Totally. They're already scared out of their wits. And then, you know, the oncologists, the power differential there is huge. Yeah, you know? and, and they know that, and they're trained for that. I mean, believe me, when they go through their training, their fellowship, they're learning from the more experienced oncologists on how to handle those patient interactions. Yeah, and to some of them are better than others, obviously. Some of them have really good bedside manner, but a lot of them, it's very, very cold and clinical. Yeah. And it's all about the guidelines, the guidelines, the guidelines. This is what we do. So we guess don't who get writes- sued. We only have 10 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. And guess who writes the guidelines? Not the doctors, the insurance companies and the drug companies yeah. write the guidelines. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But again, we've set up this system where the, the the stakeholders that that win in this game are the people that profit off of people having cancer. Yeah, we have to change the incentives. That's the only way we're going to get real significant change across the board is to actually incentivize prevention, incentivize long term health, like long term health. It, cancer it all... doesn't come back. Your bonus or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We can't just we can't just be okay with developing drugs that delay the death from cancer. Yeah. And that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So we've touched on a lot. Are there any like big treatment modalities you feel like we're missing? 
I mean, there's obviously we talked to people about nutrition. We talked about that a little bit, yeah, but you know, addressing nutrition, nutrition is a big thing yeah. for cancer. And, you know, I think sometimes it gets kind of like, you know, it's not as sexy as IV vitamins, right. mistletoe and all that, but what you put in your body three, four times a day has a huge impact on your overall health. Yeah. And you can really um, shift things with, with the proper diet approach and making sure that you're getting enough of certain nutrients and avoiding other ones. Um and being mindful about where you get your food and the sourcing of it and all, all the additives and all that. Yeah. It's, it's quite a minefield now. Just navigating really the is. grocery store. I know. You guys know that obviously in your business. So luckily we have companies like Primal Kitchen that are very aware, you know, are using clean ingredients, yeah. clean oils and giving people those options. Sure. Um, but it's still, you know, the awareness around that needs to you know, we need to build that. But when patients come to me and they want to know, you know, it, always one of the first questions is, what do I eat? Yeah. No, what the heck do I eat? Totally. It's like, it's like almost one of the most overwhelming things. For them. Yeah. Because again, a lot of women or, you know, they're, they're not only cooking for themselves, they're cooking for a family, a family yeah, kids, husbands that, you know, maybe aren't on board with the yeah. whole eating clean approach. So uh, there's a lot of dynamics that we run into there, but, but I, I try to use, um, data as much as possible to really get people moving in the right direction with whatever diet strategy we're doing. And again, the diet that you, that I may recommend for you during chemotherapy might look very different than the diet that we do long treatment, post treatment when you're in remission. Got it. So, but we look at nutrient levels. We want to make sure they're not deficiency deficient in key nutrients, of course, vitamin D and minerals and things like that. Antioxidants, polyphenols, but uh, more so we have to figure out, you know, cause everyone's a little different. There's not one diet for everybody. Yeah. So we do nutrition genome testing, which looks at, do they have certain SNPs where they need to, you know, eat certain foods because if they eat these foods, they're only going to get the precursors and their bodies can't convert. Interesting. So, it, you know, we even go down to that level for people and really customize it. Crazy. Yeah. So cool. Okay. So I want to know, I feel like we've got a lot of info now on just like treatment. You've had a diagnosis, mm -hmm. but what about prevention? What else are you doing for prevention? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, what's your protocol for all of this, <laughs> knowing what you know? Well, I don't claim to be perfect, but I do try to be mindful about, I try, I've really reduced the amount of just products that I use. Like when you go in my bathroom or my shower or my kitchen, like I try to just simplify things as much yeah. as possible. And, you know, the, the, the few products I do use, I try to make sure that they're, that they're not chock full of yeah. chemicals and known carcinogens. There's so many options now on that. There's point. a lot of options, yeah. even just compared to five, 10 years ago. Totally. It's like you can find, you can, you know, now with, you can find anything you really want on the internet. Yeah. Get it shipped right to your house. You don't even need to really go to a store. Honestly, you can usually find better stuff yeah. online. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, you can use resources like the Environmental Working Group database to vet everything from your household cleaning supplies to your cosmetics, to your sunscreen, paste, to your sunscreen, yeah, totally. your deodorant. Um, you know, and then I, I love to, I love to cook. So I really take ownership and like everything that goes into a meal that I prepare for. I, I eat out every once in a while Yeah, and I don't, I don't go crazy. Like if I go out to eat, like, I'm not like, Oh my gosh, like my I one meal. Oh yeah. 100% gluten-free oh. organic and all that. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to enjoy myself. Yeah. Because I know the other 90% of the time I'm I'm doing what I need to do. The fasting's huge. 
Um, and then, you know, I have all my little biohack things that I had cold plunges and saunas. And yeah. Tell us more about those biohack <laughs> things. Okay. Cold plunge sauna. Cold plunges and saunas. I mean that those two things I think are just game changers for people. Interesting. If you, and, and you can, you can set those things up. I know you see very expensive versions of those things online, but you can set it up for less than five hundred dollars. Yeah, you know, you can buy the 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 portable saunas. They have really good ones. They that just you lay dip in. up in, yeah. or, or even the sleeping bag style ones. Yeah, um, a cold plunge. You can go buy a metal tank at Home Depot out in their garden section. Fill it up with ice water. Yeah, that's easy there. Or even just an ice bucket and put your face in there. Yeah, I mean, you or can just get the turn your shower cold at the end of every shower. Yeah, yeah. But these are hacks that everyone can be doing. Basically, yeah. you can't really say like, oh, I can't afford that. And I mean, sa- one of my girlfriends bought a sauna for used. Like, you can actually get some pretty good deals on some of that stuff. I was like, I would never think to look for that, but yeah, she found like or like on Craigslist or something. Yeah, like on eBay, she actually yeah. ended up buying C- Courtney Cox's sauna because she was up oh. for a bigger one, but she didn't know until after she bought it. Shout out to Anne if you're listening, but but she yeah, she got it for really cheap. You know, like she didn't know until she went to pick it up. But I was like, oh, that's really smart. You know, there's a lot of. Suppose Courtney Cox is selling saunas. She got a well. I don't know. Not it was on like Craigslist or something because she's local. It was a pickup <laughs> one. It wasn't in no, eBay. I think that's great. That's it is cool. great. Like yeah, regular person. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, why? What else am I going to do with this thing? I'm getting the forty thousand dollars sauna. She was doubling down. That's yeah. why she was yeah. getting in a bigger one. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing the cold plunge. You're doing the sauna. You're fasting once a week. You do the prolon once a year. Mm-hmm. You're eating well. Yeah. What supplements are you taking? I do some IVs too. You, know. you do. Okay. What does that mean? Here and there, like once a month. Once a month, I'm good for a for a you know vitamin c iv i like ozone therapy that's another one that is great for um supporting detox okay wait before we go to the ozone therapy there's a lot of like it we're in southern california so but i think this is in most metro areas these days but you there's a lot of iv places you can go yeah exactly yes so you're just going or you're probably doing it yourself at somewhere but yeah and you're just doing i vitamin C you're not doing anything else in there like B vitamins or anything like that when I do vitamin C I usually don't put anything else in there you can do you know a lot of these places will have like a nutrition cocktail or sometimes referred to as a Myers cocktail uh and that has like a little bit of vitamin C B complex magnesium trace minerals that's good if you're just feeling run down you know but you like to go higher dose on the vitamin I like to do a high dose every once in a while just to kind of like I just feel like it's a a clean what is a high dose Generally, when we're talking high dose, it's 50 grams and above. Okay. 50,000 milligrams. You know, normally, orally, you're taking maybe a few thousand milligrams. Got it. 50. And what do you do when you're getting sick? Um, It depends on sick, but just like the general cold and flu, that type of stuff. Um, Well, I am, uh, I'm like a super fever producer. Oh, you got a real high fever. And, and yeah, so usually I get a really high fever and I sweat it out one night and then I'm I'm good the next day. That's me personally. You just let the fever do its I thing. just let it run its course. And it's, yeah, it sucks. You can do cold, wet socks, which helps. Yeah, I've heard about uh, that. You've probably heard about that. You know, you can take extra vitamin C and zinc. And I, I you normally will fast when I get sick. And I'll, and I'll try to just... Do just, nothing. Like, yeah, like I can almost feel like, you know, I'm 43 now. So like I've been sick enough that... I can almost feel it in the back of my throat. Oh yeah. Like, I always feel it in the back of my throat. You're like, you know. you're like, I'm not sick now, but 12 I will be from now, harm. I'm yeah. going to be sick. So I'm really in tune with like listening to my body. Like when it says this, I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I got to cancel I gotta the down. day. Cancel the day. I can't go out tonight. I was going to go meet friends. I'm staying home. 
Yeah. I'm taking my stuff. I'm drinking my tea. I'm, I'm chilling. And then usually I can head it off. But if I do get sick, luckily I've been able to, my body produces a great fever, which, you know, we've been taught to kind of fear fevers and treat them and suppress them. And it's like, no, that's, that's the exact opposite. Yeah. We should be doing. Yeah. I don't, I do like, I don't get fevers very often, but when I get sick, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm not a great fever producer, but some people but are. I'm very sensitive to fevers. If I have even a little bit of fever, I feel awful. Well, like awful. I'm gonna pass out. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Well, you don't yeah, it you don't need much, you know. I mean, some people can run a very high fever easily, but it, even if you just get your body up to about 100, 100.5, uh, you can normally wipe okay. out okay. any you can wipe out most bugs with that. Yeah. I try to let my kids run their course too, unless like they can't sleep. If they're really miserable, I've got two kids and yeah, I mean, like we, we keep some ibuprofen on hand just in, just in case when they're really, really miserable, but, but we've trained them a little bit too, to kind of be like, all right, like, you know, this'll be, you'll get over it faster. Yeah. Like we can get through tonight. Totally. Right. right. And the cold wet socks helps with the kids too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. I was just wondering if like you run to the IV clinic, right? When you start to get sick or anything like that. No, luckily I'm able to kind of do some of that stuff on my own, but uh, but I would, I mean, I think IV therapies are one of the best ways to, uh, again, sort of hack the system. You you can get those nutrients directly into the bloodstream, directly into the cells a lot easier than trying to shovel things down. Okay. All right. So now we're going out of ozone therapy. What's ozone Mm -hmm. therapy? Ozone. So uh, another typically given IV therapy, uh, but ozone is a gas, you know, it's O3, right? oxygen plus like another molecule. And so um, you, you make it from oxygen. So you hook an oxygen tank up to what's called an ozone generator. It scatters all those O molecules. And for a brief period of time, some of those O's come back as O3s, not O2s. And you can collect it that way. And then this gas happens to be antibacterial antiviral anti like it's it so it's just like a machine it's a machine that you have but, in your house but, okay and you well, breathe in it you can get one in your house yeah uh typically they'll be in medical settings but you can get like a hyper is this hyperbaric oxygen or that's not hyperbaric different. oxygen okay. um hyperbaric oxygen is pressurized oxygen like almost like you're doing a dive like okay down so that can force more oxygen into your body which is another potential therapy for people but ozone is typically uh, the most common way we do it in like a clinic setting is we'll generate some ozone gas and then we'll pull some blood out of a patient, mix it with that ozone gas oh. and then give it back and give their blood, almost like we're purifying yeah. their blood okay. and giving it back to them. And what that does is it creates, it for, number one, it oxygenates their blood. Number two, it wipes out any um, uh, bugs or foreign invaders that are in the bloodstream that the immune system is having trouble overcoming. It also um, can really help stimulate detox processes in the body. Interesting. And so when you're detoxing people, because again, I talked about a lot of people's cancer issues go back to toxins. So when I when we get them through their chemotherapy or whatever, then I'm like, okay, now it's time to get all that crap out of you. Yeah. And so ozone becomes a very good tool after after chemotherapy, probiotic after an antibiotic. Exactly. It's like, okay, we're gonna not only help detox you from all the treatments, but we're going to help deal with whatever those root cause toxins are, plastics, pesticides, molds, metals. So you're doing that on a routine basis. Yeah. 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 I mean, detox is a big part of what yeah. I do uh, because again, we got to deal with the root cause issues. Otherwise, you know, you're setting yourself up for this thing to keep coming back. Yeah. So that's one of your, what other biohacking things are you doing? Oh, I don't really like to use the word biohacking. 
you know, I really see this as like biohacking to me, it almost feels like it's like you're, you're cheating, you're taking shortcuts yeah. or something like that. But I mean, there are, it's just being smart about understanding what are the biological requirements for the body? What are these things that are actually leading to disease? And then how do we address them? And so, you know, whether it's ozone therapy or whether it's fasting or whether it's making diet changes or using off-label drugs, or like it's all about identifying the, the patient in front of me's issues, putting that puzzle together, and then matching a treatment plan to deal with that. And like I said, we every step of the way, pre, you know, at the time of diagnosis, pre-surgery, pre, during treatment, after long-term, we're just yeah. continually trying to heal their terrain and their soil and make it the most inhos inhospitable place for cancer cells to go. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And what supplements are you on? Me personally? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want mean, to know about I, your protocol. I take a, a pretty basic stack of stuff. Okay. It's like vitamin D, vitamin C, uh, fish oil. I do take methylene blue. You do? Not all the time, but sometimes. Occasionally. Yeah. Um, and I take a, a boatload of magnesium. Uh, magnesium. What's a boatload? Like a thousand milligrams? Yeah, probably more than that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What form are you taking? Um, so I actually do different types. Um, I take magnesium glycinate mostly during the day, but then at bedtime I take what's called magnesium three and eight, yeah. also known as like neuromag. Okay. It's the only type of magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier. Oh, interesting. So it's great for sleep, relaxing the brain at okay. night. You have headaches. Oh, so I need that. Oh, magnesium. It's a game changer. For my, game I mean, I take magnesium, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like my magnesium journey started out with magnesium citrate, which was very effective for constipation. Yes, and that's how most people. Yeah. But then I feel like I've evolved past the citrate now, but the I glycinate, Yeah. The glycinate's great for muscle tension. Um, but for my migraines, I need the three and the eight. Three and eight for, the, for any headaches, migraines, or for sleep. Interesting. Uh, okay. Support. Yeah. I need that before bed. All right. Yeah, so those are kind of base. I mean, I take a fiber product, probiotics, things like that. What fiber product? Regular psyllium husk. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just the OG psyllium yeah. husk, you know. Um, and probiotic, do you have a specific kind you like? Or? I like to rotate my probiotics. Yeah, Mark too. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you want to, you want to promote as much diversity as possible. So if you're just continually taking the same four lactobacillus strains every day or whatever, um, you know, you kind of tend to just grow those certain types yeah. of bugs and you really want the diversity as much as possible. So I'll rotate different ones. The, the more strains they have in them, the better. Um, but then, you know, the probiotics themselves aren't enough. You also have to eat the types of foods. Again, most of it's the fiber that, that feeds those bugs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's about it though. I don't do anything really crazy with supplements. I probably have a five or six things I take every day. Yeah. Are you like pro meat or anti-meat or do you have a strong feeling on red meat or no? I'm really only anti-junk food. Got it. Yeah. I like that. And, and even then, like, I mean, I'll have some chips every once in a while. Well, you know, I'll, I'll eat some packaged foods every once in a while, but I really try to make sure that they're, you know, things that are made with good oils and, yeah. you know, make those smart decisions. But I'm really, I'm not anti-meat. I'm not vegan. I'm not, you know, carnivore or any of those really restrictive type diets. I think that 90% of the diet problems come from ultra, 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 ultra processed foods. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, the meat, the, all, all the studies that have been done showing issues with meat, they don't differentiate between hot dogs and meat, that, meat that's coming from very sick animals versus meat that's been, you know, 
sustainably grown yeah. on a farm and organic and fed the right stuff. And, you know, so, so to me, I don't really look at that data and say, oh yeah, meat's bad. Yeah. It's, you know, look at how these animals are being treated. Totally. Like, I mean, it, we're, we're accumulating all that, not only what's in their feed, but then what they're being treated with the hormones, the antibiotics. It's. Yeah. Okay. What are some, I'm trying to think, like, I feel like you've covered a lot on just. We've been around the world a few times here. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think the most exciting new therapies are that are going to come out for cancer? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you keeping your eye on that you're like, this could be interesting. Or is there, are you kind of there? (laughs) That's what you're working on. I mean, I try to live on that edge, you know, so I don't know if there's anything that's coming down. I mean, more so on the conventional side, because I still, I watch what's going on on that closely. I mean, these immunotherapy drugs that have come out in the last five or 10 years, I'd say if you really wanted to point to anything that they've sort of had a breakthrough with, it's those types of drugs. And what are those again? So you probably see commercials for the drugs like Keytruda. Oh yeah. Okay. You know? And so but these when you are, said these, they were e immunotherapy. Immunotherapy. So okay. immune system. Immun- so most of the way that these drugs work is they take the break. They take the breaks off the immune system, right? You can think of your. So immune it's like system. an immunosuppressant, or not? No, the opposite. It's opposite. Okay, it so, revs up your immune system. Exactly. So okay. if you think of your immune system like a race car, you know, it's basically like taking the the governor or the brakes off of that. It's just making it go as fast as possible, which is great for cancer, you know, because you can think of maybe every time that car goes around the the track, it's getting rid of cancer cells. But if you, if the race car is not in good shape in other ways, and you're just making it go as fast as possible, eventually it's going to crash into the turn. Yeah. And that's why we see that these drugs only work for about 20, 30% of people. Oh, interesting. But when they work, they do work they really, really well. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, a, are there huge side effects? There can be again, uh, when you ramp up the, you got to kind of keep when you ramp up the immune system too much. And these people whose immune systems are not they're they're, autoimmune issues, you get the autoimmune conditions. Yeah. And they had, I've seen patients that the last two years they've had colitis, you know, they've been off the drug now for two years. They still have the problem. It, It doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily go away. Crazy. So yeah, there is significant side effects, not the same ones that you see with like traditional chemo, but there's a lot of things that can really. Yeah, really put people in a bad spot long term. Okay, this is controversial, one, so I'm going to ask you. But what do you think about like peptides and specifically? I'm curious your thoughts on Ozempic, the hottest well, drug to be discussed. Now, well, you're kind of getting me out of my my niche. Here, okay, so well, I don't have you don't have to go there. But I'm I mean, if you do any peptide therapy or anything, I like don't that. personally. Um, I have follow. I mean, obviously, how, how can you not follow kind of the the press releases on these Ozempic drugs? Yeah, and uh, I think that. People got to be careful with them. Yeah. I think that we're going to eventually learn that there's some significant downside to them and yeah. they're not just these miracle, uh, you know, peptides, you know, that, that that term, I think people think that they're kind of harmless or just amino acids, right. but like, I mean, insulin's a, insulin's a peptide, yeah. you know, they, these are more drug-like than they are nutrient-like. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there absolutely can be a place for them in medicine. Unfortunately, the FDA is really kind of, put a hard ban on a lot of those now on the peptides. Yeah. Peptides. Yeah. Because they know, they know they can make money. You know, they, they know yeah. there's going to be a huge market for these things. They want to control it. And there is some safety issues with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause it's coming a lot of like compound pharmacies and stuff. I exactly. am like, I had a obesity doctor on the podcast, like a year over a year ago. So I was like, it was just kind of the grumblings of Ozempic. Yeah. I personally feel like it's, they've been like, I think the 
I think there's more positive than there is negative. I, this is controversial, but I feel like, like I was listening to some doctor this week who was like, you know, they were like originally researched for like neurological conditions. Like there are some benefits for Alzheimer's, but I think this is where, what kind of reminded me of it, what you were saying last time, like the people who it seems like are using them with the least amount of psych, like side effects are like microdosing. They're not like, yeah. Yeah. it's, the body is you run into problems when, yeah. Like, I don't know if they've got the dosing quite figured out there, but anyway, this is totally off topic. But no, but you know, to your point, I do think, I mean, obviously we know obesity is a big risk factor for not only for every cancer, yeah. for all chronic diseases. And it's a really, you know, it's becoming a big problem in our country Yeah. now. We should be talking about all the things that cause the obesity issue, for sure. obesogens and all these chemicals that are causing us to store all these fat cells to deal with toxins. But instead, you know, we basically created a problem and we've created a solution, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of how our system works. Um, and so, but yeah, I still think that, you know, I net out that if someone's able to lose 60 pounds and there will be pounds, the benefits outweigh the like, risk. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's where I even, you know, would say, you know, weight loss surgery can be the right option for some people. Yeah. Like it all just depends on their, totally their, their individual uh, situation. Totally. Okay. But a few more like rapid fire ones for you. Right. This is amazing. But what, who's inspiring you these days? Mm. My patients. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we didn't touch on this, but like what, kind of what's the term you use in oncology like survival rates or like what are you seeing in your practice like how hopeful or scared should people feel i'm very hopeful my patients do well i'm not saying that we're you know curing stage four cancer left and right yeah um i mean i continually day in and day out see patients that you know, are outliving whatever expiration date they were given. Yeah. Or, you know, were sent home on hospice or palliative care and told there was nothing left that could be done. And I got one guy that came to me. It's probably the most uh, miraculous case I've ever had, but he came to me pre-pandemic, like literally a month before the pandemic. So early 2020. Okay. Stage four pancreatic cancer, which- Pancreatic cancer is not- a, Pancreatic is not-, not a good I mean, one. most, you know- the old saying, which is kind of a terrible saying, but the, the saying is, you know, if you uh, if you don't do any treatment with pancre stage four pancreatic cancer, you'll live six months. If you do do treatment, you'll be dead in half a year. So oh, it's like, there, it's really bad statistics. Yeah. Less than 1% five-year survival. Wow. Okay? So we're talking about a very, very deadly aggressive disease. Comes to me, stage four. He had already done a year of chemo. He had already done both of the standard approved lines of chemotherapy they did not work okay it had spread to his spine and on top of that he had developed a MRSA infection in his spine that left him paralyzed below the waist oh my god so he literally comes to me his wife wheels him in in a wheelchair and i don't know i mean i just i, I looked at him and i was trying to be compassionate and and hopeful but at the end of the day i just kind of thought i said you know i don't know if i can help you he'd been sent on hospice yeah to me every by every stretch of my imagination he looked like someone that his days were numbered yeah but his wife um as usually is is the case the wife usually she would not take no for an answer she said we understand we're you know thank you for being honest with us but what can we do what can we do we'll be here every day tell us what to do we want to try okay let's try so we just did it one day at a time, but they were, they were in my clinic literally three, four days a week 
And luckily they had the means to do this. Cause again, one thing we haven't discussed here, but a lot of this is out of pocket. Yeah. It's very yeah. expensive, especially if you're doing these IV therapies three, four days a week. He had the means to do it. Three, four, five, six months go by. He's still coming in. I don't know if we're really making any headway. No markers were really improving. He wasn't, you know, he still had no feeling below his waist. Uh, he's still in a lot of back. And you're pain. doing kind of all the things we just we're doing everything. Okay. We're doing everything. I mean, this was one of the few cases where I was like, screw it. We're throwing the kids. Yeah, yeah. Out. Okay. Um, because again, he had the means to do it too. Yeah. But about the seven, eight month mark, he starts getting a little. Feeling that in his toes, uh -huh. little moon's toes. So I'm like, okay, that's that's a good sign. It hadn't done any scans or anything. You know, we were just like, okay, we're just gonna take this one yeah. at a time. If you feel good, we'll keep doing it. Um, we were watching blood blood markers and stuff, but and he had left the oncology, like they goodbye. Exactly. And even that, I mean, they had given him that stamp. They were, yeah, you've got two weeks to live. They <laughs> they love to like give you that. You know, like, I'm going to predict the day that you're going to die. Yeah. I hate that. But yeah. ego on these doctors. It gets okay. better because there's, <laughs> okay. there's a full circle moment with okay. the doctor. But um, so after about a year, he was starting to get his legs were moving. He was able to stand up, kind of hobble a little bit. Wow, this is crazy. Um, and we were actually doing ozone injections, the gas directly into his spine where the MRSA infection was. Because again, like I mentioned, ozone is really good at clearing infection. Yeah. Um, so we saw some, some, you know, momentum there. And then it was probably about the year and a half mark. He was, he, he came in one day and I'm just like looking around. I'm like, where's your wheelchair? And he's like, I don't need that damn thing anymore. Yeah. Completely walking on his own. He was doing some physical therapy and stuff too, which was helping him build his muscles back up. But his MRSA infection had cleared. He went back to the infectious disease doctor. They said, how is this possible? I mean, they basically, they had no answer. I mean, they were just jaws on the floor. Like, we don't know what you did, but yeah, your MRSA infection is cleared. Crazy. Crazy. Still hadn't gone back to the oncologist at this point, but um, we were measuring his tumor markers in his blood. There's a CA199 marker that's very um, reflective of pancreatic cancer. So when it's going up, we know that the cancer's growing okay. going down. So his 199, it had kind of been plateaued for the first six months, eight months. Eventually, that's that after a year mark, it started coming down. He started losing weight, but like good weight. He had weight to lose, but he started losing weight. We were still doing treatments day in and day out. But finally, at that like two-year mark, we got a scan. And I'll tell you, Morgan, like I've never had like this type of a chill feeling. But, yeah, like, I have goosebumps. It was completely clear. Stop it. Cancer-free, no evidence of disease. I mean, this guy, this was a, a miracle. You know, that's crazy a, a complete miracle and the bet the best news is he eventually did go back to the oncologist the oncologist said um basically uh you shouldn't be here i don't know what you did but i don't think i can treat you i don't th i don't think i have anything for you keep doing what you're doing crazy i mean they were just basically were they like what have you been doing did you no, tell they, them they, they, they didn't even ask. they didn't even really want to know oh which is which is kind of just yeah come on yeah but, um Wow. But yeah, that was four years ago. And I've, I mean, I talked to him maybe a month ago. Yeah. Doing great. So he still comes in like once a year, half every six months and gets some blood work done and still cancer free. And so do you have cases like this frequently? I mean, stage I mean, four is a little, that's he's an really outlier. extreme. He's an outlier, but I've got lots of different stage four cancer patients that are, you know, were told two years ago that 
you know, there's nothing else. Get your affairs in order. Yeah. So yeah. So when you ask me, you know, do I have hope? Do I have hope for my patients? Yeah. I mean, now the patients that are out there and don't really know about all these things that they can be doing to stack the odds in their favor. And they're just doing the cookie cutter stuff. That's where, you know, when you look at statistics and you're like, man, this doesn't look good. Yeah. So, but for my patients, I have hope. Yeah. Yeah. God, such a good story to end on. Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question that I ask everyone, but what's something most people don't know about you? That's a good one. <laughs> um, I'm a huge, um, actually, yeah, probably nobody outside my family knows this, but I'm a huge like puzzler. Oh, I love it. Crosswords. Oh, okay. Crosswords. Wordle, jigsaw puzzles. All I've always got, like, I probably do a thousand piece puzzle every two weeks. I like, I have love a it. big table down in my basement. And it's, it's like how I, like, if I'm thinking about patients or like, I can, I know I can just go like work on a puzzle. I and, love like, a just puzzle. Just get out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a huge puzzle. New York Times, crossword on the paper every Sunday. Yeah. Wordle. It's you know, good for Alzheimer's. All that stuff. Prevention, yeah. all yeah. Of these things. Great. Yeah. So I'm a huge puzzler. And I think that's one of the things that draws me to medicine and particularly cancer is every patient's just a puzzle put together. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I like learned so much. I feel moved. I'm excited about your, <laughs> your stage four pancreatic cancer patient. Can you tell everyone like, have you written any books or like, where can we follow you on social media? People yeah. want to know how to reach you. Give us the plugs. Yeah. So uh, websites, uh, drlucas.org, doctor spelled out. Uh, I'm at Dr. Lucas on Instagram. That's where I'm most active on social media. Uh, a book's in the works. Cool. So we'll keep you posted on that one. I love it. But thank you so much. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks for having me. 